The following podcast is a Simpronto Media production. She's a business mogul. Number one. And wellness expert. How can I help? And now Chantel Ray and her amazing guests are here to guide you on your wellness journey. Time to level up. Welcome to the Waste Away Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to today's episode. And I'm so excited to introduce to you Stephanie Mara. And she is going to be talking about emotional hunger versus physical hunger, the difference between dieting mentality and boundary mentality, embracing your cravings, and so much more. So welcome, Stephanie. We're so glad to have you. Hi, I'm so glad to be here today. Well, let's start talking about the emotional hunger versus physical hunger. I think that is so many people's problem, especially with COVID right now. Everyone's so stressed and they've got so many things that they're kind of thinking about. So tell us a little bit about what can you do to make sure that you're eating when you're physically hungry and not when you're emotionally hungry? Yeah, a great question. So first I'll, uh, kind of back up and explain that my approach to nutrition is more somatic body-based. And so I really teach my clients how to listen to their body while they're eating. And I kind of notice the sensations and what's showing up in their body and even the motions that are showing up while they're eating so that they get to discover the unique nutrition and the unique nourishment that works for their individual body. And so uh, when it comes to identifying the difference between physical and emotional hunger, uh, this is a great place to start as you're maybe starting to step out of like dieting mentality or restricting yourself. It's like, well, what then? So at first is kind of exploring, okay, what does physical hunger feel like in your unique system? And so I often describe physical hunger as it comes on really slowly Uh, Usually you might experience some physical symptoms of like stomach gurgles or lightheadedness. And usually when it comes to physical hunger, it's not very picky. So anything could satisfy, any food could satisfy an emotional hunger. Really all the body wants is it wants that nutrition so that it can have enough energy and keep functioning optimally to go throughout its day. With emotional hunger, Uh, This is great to start to identify when you notice that you feel physically satisfied and satiated, but there's still kind of a sense of emptiness. And so that can start to give you a signal that this might be this hunger that's showing up might not be an emotional, uh, physical hunger. It might be an emotional hunger. And so with an emotional hunger, uh, it usually comes on very suddenly Uh, it's often very picky in what it wants. So it's very specific. I want this food. And uh, often what ultimately satiates an emotional hunger isn't food. Uh, I like to normalize that food gets to be a one of the tools in someone's toolbox uh, to satiate and satisfy an emotional hunger. But ultimately, if we're trying to satisfy an emotional hunger long term, things that nourish it are like connection, communication, uh, physical touch, understanding, compassion. And so uh, kind of the the things that more like uh, satisfy our heart and our soul. So let's talk about somatic hunger. For people who've never heard of what that is, spell it for us and explain what it is. Yeah, so it's S-O-M-A-T-I-C. 
And so it stems from uh, my master's degrees in body psychotherapy, and that is under the umbrella of somatic psychotherapy. And so basically it's all about the mind-body connection. And so it's a little bit less of, of talking and a little bit more of deep listening to what the body has to tell us. You know, our body holds memories uh, that our every muscle of our being holds our memories of what we have experienced in our life. And so if we take the research of like we have a brain in our gut called the enteric nervous system, you know, basically our gut brain communicates with our head brain uh, via what's called the vagus nerve. And so uh, going into more of a somatic approach to nutrition, uh, my way is kind of getting the head brain to talk more to the gut brain and vice versa. And so that's kind of going into the body and, and tuning into sensations that are showing up because ultimately your body is going to guide you and what foods resonate with your unique system. And, you know, that might show up as really tuning in after a meal and noticing what sensations are present. Are you having stomach gurgles? Are you getting bloated? Are you gassy? Uh, do you feel at ease? Do you feel peaceful or calm or even anxious and worried? You know, food is incredibly powerful in how many different uh, reactions can happen after we put something into our body. Mm. I want you to talk about one of the things that I hear people say is that you know, they love to eat and they also hate to eat because they they love to eat because they love the feeling of food. It makes them happy, but they also hate to eat because they feel like when they do eat, it's hard for them to stop eating. So it's almost this idea that once they start eating, they feel like they, you know, it's, it's especially with, with intermittent fasting happens because you haven't eaten for so long. So now you're ravenous. And then when you do eat, now you're tending to overeat, some people say. And now they're maybe having bad feelings about themselves. Like, oh gosh, I waited too long to eat. Now I ate too much. And they have this love to eat, hate to eat relationship. Can you talk about that for a second? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I do think that often comes back to identifying the difference between emotional and physical hunger in someone's body. And so these wires get crossed at a really young age. Like when we think about it, our first form of love often comes from food from a caretaker or most of the time our mother through either breast milk or something else. And so our experience of being cared for, loved, seen, held, often comes from that very first experience of receiving food from a parent who is attending to us, who is looking at us, who is showing that we are being seen and held and we're alive and we exist. And so I think that uh, if we don't, as we grow older, kind of... Uh, identify the difference between emotional and physical hunger in our body, these wires continue to get crossed. We keep going and looking towards food to provide us with the love or the compassion or the understanding or the connection that we're looking for emotionally. And so oftentimes uh, what I see with the love-hate relationship is what comes in is that both the emotional and physical hungers are showing up at the same time. Like, look, we need food to live. Like we can't stop eating. So uh, what happens is it's like, okay, you get that natural impulse. You have to eat food. You have to nourish your body with that 
physical satiation. And so then it's like, okay, you start eating. And then as you are getting more towards feeling satisfied and satiated with what you're feeding yourself, the emotional hunger kicks in. And it's now it's just like, oh, like, I'm afraid that I'm not going to receive this pleasure again today. I'm afraid that, you know, how satisfying this experience is. I'm not going to receive it in something else. You know, then it's it's all the fears that come up around uh, what we, the satisfaction and the pleasure we receive from eating. If it's not showing up in anywhere else in someone's life, then ultimately what happens is we keep looking towards food to provide us something that it literally can't provide us long-term. Like, absolutely, I want to normalize. Like, food is a dopamine hit, and it, like, feels really good to eat, and it's incredibly grounding. It's a somatic experience that it supports us in feeling connected. And then ultimately, uh, that experience of eating and feeling connected and grounded while we're eating only lasts for the time that we're eating the food. And then it immediately starts to diminish as soon as we stop eating. So I think this is where the emotional hunger comes in is that uh, as soon as you notice that you feel satisfied physically, it's getting curious, okay, how else can I satisfy the emotional hunger of wanting to feel pleasure? How else can I satisfy the emotional hunger of wanting to feel connected or grounded so that you're satisfying both the physical hunger and emotional hunger at the same time? So you talk about the four steps of embracing your cravings on your website. And I'd love for you to kind of walk us through those four steps of what you can do to explore, to embrace the presence of your craving. Yeah. So uh, first, if you go to my website and you sign up for my newsletter, you'll receive all of these uh, in a a newsletter to you. But I I basically uh, call it like turning the pages. (laughs) And so it goes, uh, you know, pausing, uh, cultivating awareness, um, getting curious and, uh, you know, uh, satisfying your emotional hungers and, um, you know, practice, practice, practice. And so uh, ultimately with that process, it's like, first, we cannot change what we're not aware of. And so first we have to slow down in our process of eating to cultivate awareness of how is this food processing through my body? Uh, How is it sitting with me? Is it giving me what I thought it would give me? Uh, What am I expecting this food to give me emotionally and did it do that? So we have to first slow down and take a pause to actually be like, okay, let me attend to how I'm feeling while I'm eating this food. And then we cannot change. Let me stop you right there on that because I will tell you my thing that I just still to this day, I mean, I have to work so hard at it is to eat slowly. I, you know, I walk fast. I talk fast. I do everything fast in my life and I'm still struggling. I, I literally do like contest with friends. I'm like, okay, I'm setting my timer, make sure I'm waiting 20, you know, I'm taking 20 minutes. I'll randomly get up in the middle and go to the bathroom. Like it's, it's very forced. Like I can eat slower, but it is not a natural process. It's still very forced. Can you give some practical examples of what, you know, listeners and me, because that's an area I don't have down of eating slowly. It was funny. I'll tell you this. I went to, uh, 
we had just gone on a quick trip to Miami and we had the best time, but I saw this girl and she had like a drop dead gorgeous body. And anytime I see someone that's um, 40 or older that just has a perfect, perfect body, like completely flawless, like no body fat. And I went up to her and I said, you know, I, I ask all these women all the time, but I still do it. I said, what do you eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Of course, she's like, I never eat breakfast. I don't start eating till two o'clock. I'm like, of course, you know, it, you know, but anyway, she, but one of the things I asked her, I said, now, do you eat very slow? And she's like, no, I don't. I eat very fast. She's like, but my portions aren't very big, but she's like, I do eat fast. And I was like, oh, good. <laughs> I was actually like happy to see someone eating fast. But anyway, what are some things that you do can give for people to really slow down? Yeah. And, and I will just normalize that. I think a majority of individuals probably eat really quickly, you know, especially in just the culture that we live in, that it's constantly go, go, go that I, uh, to actually slow down with our meals. You know, this is something that I work on a lot with my clients is like, we have to plan our meals as if we would plan anything else in our day. You know, if we're driving, we can't often plan anything while we're driving. We have to attend to being behind the wheel and just focusing on driving. And so approaching a meal in that way, and then it's like, it is an activity in your day that needs just as much attention as everything else that we provide attention to in our lives. And so I think that's one, that's the first factor is like just bringing in that slowing down is attending only to the food, bringing in a lot of mindfulness into that experience of this is the only thing I have to focus about and to right now that I, uh, whatever you were working on, whatever you have to do, it kind of gets to be put aside just for now while you just focus on eating. And so I think that can start to facilitate the process of slowing down uh, with food because then it's like there are no other distractors. And uh, so little tricks that you can experiment with. Um, one is, you know, uh, describing the food to yourself. So that you're actually noticing what do you enjoy about that experience of eating? And so it's like taking a bite and actually putting your fork down and starting to describe it. What do you like about the taste and the texture and the flavors? And, you know, you may notice like, does it need more salt? Does it need more flavoring? And so that then you get to actually, uh, you know, doctor that meal to exactly how you want it in that moment. Um, other things that I, I have seen be helpful is your eating environment. So choosing an eating environment that feels really lovely to eat in. Like I had a client once who just changed not eating in the kitchen anymore. The kitchen actually became a place for her that was so busy and crazy. And there was so much going on in that environment that even just moving where she was eating to the living room or to outside that she noticed she was able to kind of get out of that speedy environment and attend to her food in an environment that facilitated feeling calm and relaxed and connected while she was eating. You know, I've had some people like play some ga fun games with slowing down of like, you know, eating with the opposite hand or eating with like chopsticks. Uh, you know, I think that it, play with it, get curious about what's ultimately going to work for you. And, and also makes the experience of eating an enjoyable one. And so uh, the whole process of slowing down, I think we get to approach it of like, how do I enhance this meal? Not that eating is taking me away from living my life. 
because we need to eat to live. We need that sense of nerve and to feel even just like joy and alive and connected and present in our life. And so I think even just how we're relating to our food in that moment, like I often see that individuals are speeding up because they think the experience of eating is taking them away from what's really important. And that when we actually slow down, it's like, are those things really that important? Can they wait like 15, 20 minutes? And we'll come back to them at you know in a little bit, so that we actually get to really attend to the act of eating. Mm. So you know, I've experimented with you know working, like let's say you're at work, you know, and you're eating, and you can work at your desk. You know, I've actually found that when I work in front of my computer and eat at the same time. I can actually slow down. And the reason is, is because like, I'll take a bite of food, I'll take two bites, and then I'll just go back to doing some emails. And then I'll look again, and then I'll take a couple bites. But while I'm eating those bites, I am in the moment with those couple of bites, but then I'm diverting my attention into like doing emails and stuff like that. And that actually does help me to slow down because of, you know, everything that's going on. So what is your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think if it works for you, great. You know, that's where I think the experimentation really comes in is that, uh, and, and this is often uh, little things that I'll guide my clients through is uh, I'll, I'll tell them like, read a book. And it's like, yeah, take a bite of your food, really attend to the act of eating, fully chew your food before you swallow, and then read a couple pages in your book. And then you can go back to attending to eating the food again. Sure, the book might be a computer. It might be work. But I think the whole process of that is uh, while you're eating, that you're attending to the act of eating. Because ultimately, there's something called the cephalic head phase of digestion. And so if we miss the act of eating, like uh, this kind of goes into, have you ever like poured yourself a bowl of popcorn and you sit to watch a movie and the whole bowl of popcorn is gone and you didn't even realize that you ate that popcorn. And so uh, the cephalic head phase of digestion, what that is, is it's ultimately, we need to be so present with our food so that our body actually identifies that it ate. If we are distracted and focusing on something else while we're eating, our body actually won't process the fact that food came in and it will think that that experience didn't even happen and that you will still feel hungry. So uh, that's why it's like, yeah, if you need to multitask, totally fine. Go ahead and do that. And while you're taking a bite of food, actually just attend to the food and like allow your body to notice you are eating right now. Like, how are we enjoying this food? And then you can put your fork down and then attend to what else you need to do so that you get to attend to both things at the same time. Hey guys, one of the things that will take your weight loss to the next level is coaching. You can either work one-on-one with me or one of our certified private coaches. If you'd like, you can schedule your free call. It's a 10-minute strategy call just to see if coaching is going to really take you to the next level. Don't just take my word for it. Listen to this recent review a happy coaching client sent in. Thanks so much for your help and guidance. I never could have done it without you. 
The other thing is listening to the audiobook. Listening to the audiobook and getting the video course that I've done, people are seeing dramatic results. If you just listen to the audiobook 30 minutes a day, over and over and over again, and get the video course, go to ChantelRayway.com and check out the video course. You won't be sorry you did. All right, last thing. I love a, a portion that you had on your site about eating real food. And I do feel like people can get so crazy with, oh, I'm vegan. Today I'm paleo. Today I'm keto. Today I'm dairy free. Today I'm gluten free. I mean, it just, you know, they just flip flop like teeter totter over and over. And then they're like, oh, I can't do that. Now I'm going to be doing this. Talk about just focusing on one thing and just talking about eating real food. Yeah. So I, well, I'm all about experimentation and having each person discover what works for their unique body. I think one thing that I have seen over and over and over again, that it just is supportive to every single person's body, no matter if you are following paleo or keto or vegetarian or vegan, no matter what it is, it's simplifying of like, just asking yourself, okay, is the meal that I am making right now, is the majority of it, could I imagine picking this, these fruits or vegetables or whatever from a tree? Could I imagine pulling this food out from the earth? Is this naturally occurring in the world? And so that naturally guides an individual away towards maybe more of the processed prepackaged foods and more towards creating meals that are vibrant with lots of colors, which means we're going to get a lot of different micronutrients in there because of all the different colors on the plate. And uh, that it can, like, no matter what you have ultimately found works for your body in that way of eating, that just focusing on, is this a whole food is going to support your body in thriving? Because ultimately, uh, the further away we get from a whole natural food, like it's, you know, uh, that saying of like, it could your grandma read the labels on, you know, whatever your the processed food that you're eating. And so it's like, would you really want to put that in your body when we don't, you know, food itself is an experiment. Every time we put it in our system, we don't actually know how it's going to interact with our body. And so the more that we can get towards a whole natural food, the more easier it can also feel to hear how a food resonates with our body or doesn't. You know, the more processed it is, that means the more uh, preservatives or added extra salts or sugars that can actually make it really hard to actually hear our body signals and what works for it and what doesn't. Because it's like you could eat something and if you get super bloated and there are like 20 ingredients on that list of that processed food, we don't actually know what was upsetting your body. Okay. Last thing. Um, you know, I think digestion is so important and I feel like, you know, with you, you had some gut issues, you had some digestive issues. What are some tips that you've done? I know for me, the, the biggest thing that I've done is I have really done a good job of not drinking water or any drinks while I'm eating. I literally like when the, when the waiter comes by, I'm like, please don't give me a drink. I want one. If the water's sitting there, I'm going to drink it. And then I created my own thing called Waste Away. It's called Digest Aid. It's on my website, but it has um, HCL betaine. And it, it's a really great blend because it has so many, it's a proprietary blend and it has the perfect amount of digestive enzymes and betaine. 
um, HCL, which really it's just the combination is the best that that I have found. So I created it myself. But what other things can you do to really help with digestion? Yeah. Uh, so just to that point, uh, I think that naturally as we age, sometimes our digestive fire uh, can decrease. And so a lot of the times when I see individuals uh, are dealing with a lot of bloating and uh, oftentimes what that can mean is that someone doesn't have enough acid in their stomach to break down their food, not that they have too much. So uh, if you know someone who's taking antacids that actually might be not supporting them like they thought it would with the bloating or. Okay, wait, wait. So let's talk about that because actually I just had a friend. We just were sitting at the pool and he's like, I'm taking my antacid. I'm like, no, we need to talk about this. So let's talk about this. Why are antacids so bad for you? Yeah. So ultimately, uh, we need enough acid in our stomach to break down our food. And then actually indigestion and uh, bloating happens when we actually don't have enough acid in our stomach to be able to break down that that nourishment, that actually it is, uh, we need actually a very acidic environment in our digestive tract to be able to break out, down. Like, especially if you're not like a huge chewer and you're like, you know, swallowing like huge pieces of food, that is a lot of work on the digestive tract. And so if you were taking an antacid, you're basically decreasing your ability to digest that food and not enhancing it. And it might, you know, in the moment facilitate feeling better because of what is maybe in your antacid, but ultimately long-term, it's not giving you the result that you want. And so the little tests that I'll often do with my clients who come to me with digestive issues is I'll have them actually drink, uh, sip on it before and after their meals. If you don't want to drink during, that's totally cool. Uh, is having a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar uh, in a glass of water. And so uh, sipping on that before and after the meal, if you notice a huge difference in how you digested that meal, that is a sign that HCL could be supportive for you. Because ultimately what uh, apple cider vinegar is doing is it's helping increase the acid in your stomach because you're putting acid in it. And that if you actually feel like you're digesting food with more ease, you're feeling less bloated after your meal, that that can be a, a really just easy, inexpensive way to test out, uh, Could do I need to take a supplement or do I need more support around building up my acid to uh, digest my food easier? Yeah, and I think that especially with um, protein. So I've seen a lot of people who they need to take, you know, this digest aid mm -hmm. when they are eating a lot of protein because the function of your stomach acid is to digest protein too. And so when, when someone has their stomach acid quote turned off, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're putting in antacid, yeah. they can't digest well. And, you know, that is, especially like if they might eat maybe a piece of chicken uh, or a big steak or something like that, you need that hydrochloric acid to break it down. And when there isn't enough hydrochloric acid to break it down, that protein sits in the stomach and it starts to putrefy, creating acid and gases. And now 
the person might have symptoms like a sour stomach or acid reflux, right? But this all happened because they initially didn't have the acid that they need to digest properly. So then they're making the problem worse. Mm -hmm. Do you agree with that? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think this is also where uh, kind of the body listening that often I teach is like, yeah, if you are eating a meal, like if we actually take different kinds of meals that you are eating and we notice, how do you feel after eating that meal? That if you notice that on a high uh, animal protein kind of meal, that every time you have like that sour stomach or you're having bloating or you're having a hard time digesting that meal. What I often see is that people are like, oh, maybe that means that this is a food that doesn't work for me. And maybe it isn't, absolutely. And so I think that's why a lot of people go towards maybe uh, decreasing the amount of protein they're eating. And they're like, oh, maybe I'm just not meant to be eating this amount of protein right now. Where actually it might be that your body needs a little bit of support to be able to process and assimilate and digest that kind of nourishment. So, uh, but just cultivating that awareness first of like, oh, I'm having a hard time digesting my proteins. We get to bring in a lot of curiosity of, oh, okay, what, what is the message here in why that might be happening? Hey guys, I wanted to tell you I'm offering a free weight loss virtual Bible study. Now is the perfect time to focus on understanding true hunger and fullness and learn what the Bible has to say about it. All you have to do is go to ChantelRayWay.com slash Bible study. After you sign up, you'll receive a six week Bible study video that you can watch on your own, or you can get a small group of people and do it together. That's ChantelRayWay.com slash Bible study for your free six week Bible study course. Mm-hmm. Um, so as far as people with acid reflux, have you seen people when they start taking like, you know, hydrochloric acid for their stomach, they are now able to, when they have better stomach acid, they're able to absorb minerals like calcium, iron, magnesium, B12. So they're like feeling better because, you know, the pH in their stomach is where it should be. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen it as someone strengthens up their digestive fire that I have seen so many uh, other things shift and change in their body because ultimately if we're not digesting our nourishment with ease, like you just said, we're not actually assimilating and absorbing even the food that we're eating. We like, we're like, well, just because I'm putting food in my body, isn't it, you know, doesn't that mean that I've gotten the nourishment that I need? And so uh, instead of saying you are what you eat, uh, oftentimes I'll change that to you are what you digest <laughs> because uh, we could be eating and not actually digesting what we're eating. Oh, I like that. You are what you digest. Now, I will say this. Have you heard that uh, I've seen this over and over that people with sinus infections and post-nasal drip that a lot of times they've taken my uh, digest aid and they have seen that they are doing so much better because when they, first of all, if you have, in you have, you don't have the stomach acid, first of all, A, if you have good stomach acid, it's going to kill off bacteria, right? And the bacteria that you have in foods like maybe even parasites. If you've got good acidity, that can help kill off 
anything that, you know, is in the gut, you know, maybe you had like a, a piece of tuna. I see this with people who eat a lot of tuna. You know, my, my friend said when she was younger, she was a fishmonger. Mm-hmm. And she said she can't eat a piece of fish when she was like in high school. She mm-hmm. said she would take that tuna and she said, you would not believe they would take that fish and they would just clean off a portion of the parasites that were in that fish and they just cut it off. And then, you know, and she's mm-hmm. like, these are ones that you can see. Yeah. So good acidity can help kill off, uh, you know, any like some parasites that might be in the food as well. Yeah. And so I think that a huge factor to to also add into this conversation is like what diminishes stomach acid. And I think a huge piece of that is stress. (laughs) And so like, you know, I, what I've seen with a lot of people who are working with healing their digestive issues for an enormous amount of time and they're maybe they're taking the HCL and they're like changed up how they're eating and they feel like they're doing everything like quote unquote, right. Uh, oftentimes what I see is that it's like, well, how are your stress levels? What's your self-care like? Because ultimately, if we are having pervasive, consistent stress levels be really high consistently, that over time, that starts to affect our the functioning of our digestive system. That if we think about it, if we are constantly in a stress response, we are in fight or flight mode. So our body thinks it's in danger. And what do we not need to do when we're maybe running from a tiger? We don't need to be digesting food. So all of the blood is flowing out towards our limbs, towards uh, you know, our extremities so that it feels like it's constantly needs to like ready itself to fight or to flee. And so ultimately the more that we can guide the body back into a relaxation response, the easier we can also digest our food, the more we can be facilitating optimal acid production so that we can be assimilating what is coming in. And so I think the stress response is a, is a huge one, even what you were talking about before that um, like if someone is playing around with intermittent fasting and then, you know, they waited maybe a little too long and then they're voracious, like their body went into a fight or flight response. And so in that moment, even taking a moment to like, okay, body, we're going to eat. I promise you everything's okay. Like even describing their environment, like we're safe right now can kind of also facilitate not overeating in that moment so that they get to also bring their body back into a relaxation response that everything's okay. The nourishment they need is going to be coming in and it can facilitate both digesting that food with more ease and often decrease the likelihood of overeating. Yeah. I want to also say that, you know, the other thing that diminishes stomach acid besides stress, which stress is a huge one, but eating too much Mm -hmm. um, and eating too much high carb intake and also too much sugar and too much alcohol. If you, I see people who are drinking way too much uh, alcohol. They're drinking every night, three and four nights a week, especially drinks that are high in sugar, which sugar, which alcohol turns into sugar, right? So you're drinking beer, you're drinking orange crushes, you're drinking stuff like that, which is just too much sugar for the body. Um, mental stress uh, is a big one, but I've just seen that have big times, you know, it's just a big thing on where their stomach acid is diminishing. So I agree with that. 
Yeah. You know, I, I like to explain it's all about balance, you know, that it's, uh, if we are eating any one food group in an abundant amount that yes, it, any of the like macronutrients can be important to take in. And that if we're eating too much of any one food group, our body actually starts to get depleted in the nutrients that it needs from those other macronutrients. And so like that can also lead to potentially overeating because your body is trying to tell you, I need a different kind of nutrition. I need different nutrients coming in. And so actually this is where we get to sometimes listen to our cravings and that they're talking to us in some way that uh, maybe if we are constantly having sugar cravings coming up, that it's not actually the sugar or the sweets or the carbs that we're looking for, that our body is saying like, well, this is the thing that you keep telling me that we're eating right now. And so I'm just going to keep telling you to eat it because I'm trying to get what I need. But really what I need is I need more protein. Really what I need is I need you to start bringing in more fat into our meals. And so uh, that's where it's like we get to kind of slow down with our cravings and kind of take time to interpret them. Because sometimes it's not just the thing that we're craving is the thing that we need. Sometimes it's something else. Yeah. And the entire digestive tract is orchestrated by good stomach acids. So if there isn't enough, the gallbladder doesn't get triggered properly to function and the pancreatic enzymes aren't released for digestion. So one thing I do want to say on this podcast, if you are taking antacids, that's a problem. <laughs> like, the, you know what I mean? Like, do you agree? Yeah. I mean, I, I would say, I think that we have, we throw uh, so many medications or pills, or there's a quick fix for that in our society that it's like, okay, if you've been taking antacids for a while, there's a different way. There's a different way to be in relationship with your body. And that it's like, maybe like this podcast right now will spark for you. Huh? Maybe I need to start approaching this a little bit differently that me constantly needing to take antacids after my meals is talking to me that something else is needed. Mm, all right. Well, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for being on our show today. Tell listeners where they can find you and where they can follow you. Yep. So my website is Stephanie Mara and that's M-A-R-A uh, dot com. And you can, if you add any questions from this podcast, you can email me at support at stephaniemara.com. And I also have a uh, private Facebook group called uh, Satiated, uh, a hunger healing community. And so uh, if you're kind of working through your relationship with food, uh, feel free to join there. Uh, so that's on Facebook. And I also have uh, my own podcast called Satiated that comes out every Saturday. Uh, so many, many places. It's oh, all I love that name. I love that. To find me. <laughs> That's great. Well, thanks again. And you guys stay tuned. We'll have another episode coming up in just a few. Bye-bye for now. Hey guys, thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, it would mean the world to us for you to leave a review on iTunes to get this podcast out to others that may have the same questions that you do. And as always, if you have a question that you want answered, email those to questions at chantelrayway.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.